0: I wish to work so that I may be and that you and all humanity will benefit. And he says, if you work that way with that wish, he says, the wish will be answered. He says, the person won't go 10 steps before they find someone who helps them.
1: Welcome back everyone to Mind Matters. Today we are pleased to have joining us again Father Joseph Azizi. For those of you who haven't listened to our first interview with Father Azizi, uh, check that out. He is a Maronite priest and author of this book among others, Gurdjieff Mysticism, Contemplation and Exercises available from Oxford University Press. And today we are going to be discussing, in addition to parts of that book, a series of articles that Joseph has been putting up on his blog, we'll uh, include a link to that below, on what is called the new work. So I guess, first of all, Joseph, welcome back to the show, and maybe we can just launch right into it. Um, What is the new work, first of all?
0: Yeah. The new work is something which I first came across after the death of Mr. Rady. Uh, Mr. Rady died in 1989, and in 1990, our group was advised by Paris that we should make contact with a gentleman named Jim Wyckoff, who was coming out from New York. And when we met Jim and had meetings with him, we were very surprised by. A significant difference in emphasis so that instead of working we were told you can't work you can be worked instead of doing you can't do anything uh, but you can listen for something going on and it was very surprising um it was quite different in that the emphasis had changed from formulating an aim, Jim Wyckoff used to say, I can have an interest, but not an aim, an aim is too fixed. Rather than making efforts, as it were, uh, one had to be passive, open, receptive. That's oversimplifying it a little bit, because it wasn't that Jim said, you don't make efforts.
2: It was more that
0: he was saying that, the efforts we make are, as it were, too active. They're not enough passive, Mm -hmm. enough receptive. And that we try and plan things in too much detail. There's nothing to do, he would say. I'm just open. I have to listen. Who says I'm not working? Um, Even when I sleep, I might be working. And it was um, a very, very different emphasis. The idea of having an aim and then working on specific features, such as negative emotions, chief feature, all that disappeared. And again, it was a question of emphasis. It wasn't that Jim didn't believe that there were such things as negative emotions. He said there were, and he said that our negative emotions don't have the force that we believe they do. But it was how you went about working with it. So Jim would always be coming back to the sensation. I need to be present to my sensation. And that is an absolutely fundamental part of the Gurdjieff method, that as we are, we're not aware that we have any sensation we are almost um, lost in our heads as it were. There's no organic contact between our centers, our mind, our feeling and our bodies. He would stress sensation and then he would stress being open and there wasn't really much else. Um, The idea of specifying negative emotions making plans to deal with them and particularly chief feature. He was he wouldn't entertain questions about chief feature, which I think is central to Gurdjieff's practical methods. Gurdjieff said so himself. That was out the window. And he didn't even like having schedules. Um, he used schedules when he wanted to, but apart from that, you couldn't do it. You, you couldn't plan. You couldn't um, fix things. So that, for example, when I was in New York working with his group while he was alive, they had to move a whole wall of items into storage, and then they were going to put them back. I said, well, let's make a sketch of what goes where. Oh, no, you can't do that. That's..." um too fixed. Um, Lord Pentland said you only write things down so that you can forget them. Don't write anything down. Don't make a plan. Anyhow, I made my sketch and uh, (laughs) I was pleased to hear that afterwards when they were about, when they were trying to return things to where they belonged on the wall. They couldn't remember where they fitted. And then they were desperately looking for my sketch so that they (laughs) knew where things went. It's a little bit subtle. I'm aware I'm not communicating it uh, as clearly as I'd like to, but it's a difference in emphasis. So that the emphasis is not on me formulating a plan, an aim, Having a method, a strategy, and working towards it. It's on being open, um, receiving something. Mm -hmm. And this showed itself very clearly in the exercises. So that Mr. 80 was using Gurdjieff's exercises where you know the skeleton of the exercise. You make a definite effort. I will receive. The air, I will digest the air this way, that type of thing. With Jim Wyckoff and the new ex, the new work, it was more just to sit, uh, maybe to sense oneself, but to be open to what was happening. And they would improvise what was being said. Now, it's not that there's no improvisation when the Gurdjieff exercises are brought. There must be. Otherwise, what are you doing? Just repeating something parrot fashion. But there's a definite schedule, a definite sort of skeleton, a path, a framework. Something is known. Mm-hmm. With the new work, there's a de-emphasis on what is known and an over-emphasis on searching. So I'm always searching. but. And I would say, but the search only has meaning because we're hoping to find something. Oh, no, no, you're you're being too concrete, too definite, too rigid. Uh, As soon as you speak about finding something, you have an idea of what you're going to find. And it was very difficult. We were were generally taken by surprise and um, a, a lot of people left the group. Um, and I think it was mainly because of the sudden shift in emphasis, the abandoning of something which was clear and really a work, something with a definite aim and a definite effort in that direction for something which was formless. one of the people in our group described the sittings that Jim Wyckoff was bringing. She said, it's like meditating on the endlessness of the universe. (laughs) Now there was, when you compare that with the exercises in the book, you can see the point. Um, Exercises like the ones Gurdjieff was bringing were suddenly no longer being used anymore. Uh, The exercises in views from the real
3: world weren't being used. Um, Oh, sorry, life is real. Mm -hmm. They weren't being used. Um,
0: Even the exercises that uh, Mr. Aidy brought, again, no longer being used. With the preparation, you'll see there's a chapter in the book on the preparation, the morning preparation which Gurdjieff brought. Now, they still do something in the morning, but not with the clarity, not with the structure which Mr. Rady brought. So it was a difference in emphasis. Um, It took a long time to be clear about what was happening, but this was a change. At first, I was thinking, well, it's the same work, only it's coming from a different aspect. And that's not actually entirely wrong, but the longer I went on with it, the more that I saw it wasn't the same work. The emphasis on being passive was so great a difference in emphasis that there was effectively a breach in continuity. Um, when our people went to France in 1990, Ken Adie and Mrs A. went to Paris in 1990, just before Madame de Saltzman died. And one of the main people there, uh, Pauline de Dompierre, said to them, Madame de Saltzman brought a new influence in the work. She brought a feminine influence. And at the time I was thinking, but how could this be? Um, Gurdjieff had brought what was necessary. Are they saying that she actually changed the work? And I think that's what happened. It was you've actually changed. Mm -hmm. And there are hints of this in the literature. Um, There's a book by one of the chaps from America saying, I asked Madame de Saltzman, are you saying the ideas no longer matter? And he says, she didn't answer me. But that's effectively what happened. The ideas, particularly the ideas found in search of the miraculous, were sidelined. So the idea of beginning with a name, formulating a plan and a strategy to work went out the window. I remember once I was in Los Angeles and someone said to Lady Pentland, I don't care about negative emotion. I don't care about working on those things. All I want to do is sit and receive this higher energy. And I don't wish to disparage the memory of Lady Pentland, but one occasion I spoke with her. She was very kind, she was very gracious. But what she said was, and this is the truth, this is what she said. She said, when one has learnt the language, one no longer needs the dictionary. I think what she's saying is that once you've achieved the state, you don't need to be thinking about negative emotions and things like that. Well, I think, although it's difficult to say that's actually wrong, I do think it is wrong because it's very wrong in emphasis. We can't achieve a better state and a permanent state, a more conscious state, unless we are also working to make our negative emotions passive. So when someone says, as this young man did, I don't care about negative emotions, I don't care about any of that stuff, he's throwing out the only way that one can become more conscious mm-hmm. because you can't become conscious and just as it were bask in the glow of some higher energy which descends unless I have done the work. Working against my negative emotions. For that, I need to understand what my negative emotions are. I need to know the ways of working against negative emotion. I need to know how to use habit. I need to understand chief feature, at least be engaging with chief feature. Well, at least with chief feature, the, the struggle with chief feature saves us a great deal of time. It enables us to work on the axis of all our weaknesses in one at once. Ideas such as sacrificing my suffering, it's not to be found in the new work. And yet, if you look in search of the miraculous and the people who were with Gurdjieff in those early days, like Nicol, sacrificing my suffering is an absolutely key element of a practical work so in a nutshell um, that was how i came across the new work and eventually i, I had to reject it
3: mm-hmm.
1: well i have a just a, a few comments on what you said so far first in reference to the the anecdote about that um, young guy talking to lady pentland about um, well her response about uh, when you when you've learned the language you don't need the dictionary any longer I think like you said there there can be in a sense a truth in that in that perhaps at at that high level um, that may be true when you when you know it you no longer need necessarily those um, those symbols or those images for it but but the the danger of it like you said is that it ignores the pathway to get there because I'm sure this young this young man, Asking this question, there's almost a hundred percent chance that he wasn't at that level. So, what is the point in in saying that to someone who who needs the to learn the dictionary, basically, that 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 like you said, those those um, those ideas and those tools are necessary if that is the goal to achieve that goal. So, it's almost as if there was a like you said, there was a total shift in the emphasis and well, one thing I'm curious about is when this occurred, if this was a gradual thing um, as far as you know, over time, because Gurdjieff died in 1949 and Mm. this, this, some of the events you've talked about were early nineties. I think I've read that. um, I can't remember if it was James Moore that said he encountered these kinds of things in the, in the UK groups in the eighties Maybe, but um, yeah. as far as you know, was there a, a sudden shift in, at, at a, a specific point in time or was it more gradual?
0: It was gradual, but the ground was prepared. Um, in Witness, Bennett mentions that in the 1950s, when he was introduced to a passive way of working by Paxibu, you know, the Subud method, mm-hmm. the Latahan was far more passive. He said he tried to interest Madame de Saltzman and Henri Tracol, and they rejected it. Mm-hmm. And in witness, Bennett says, um, I can understand it. They weren't used to this passive, this passive, this receptive side of things. But then at some point, I don't know whether it's the 50s or the 60s, but Bill Siegel is interviewed by uh, is interviewed in a book and the interview is in his voice from the borders of silence. William Siegel says that he introduced Madame de Saltzman to Zen and Zen sittings and she started to introduce them in the 1960s and it is known that she was interested in a number of um, Zen and Buddhist figures. So in the 1960s, Madame de Saltzman starts to introduce, particularly in the USA and in France, this type of Zen influenced sitting and starts to scale back what, what she had from Gurdjieff, particularly with the Gurdjieff exercises. But it wasn't terribly advanced. In England, because in England, Madame Land was a very formidable force. And not only Madame Land, also Jane Heap. One of the people who knew Madame de Saltzman and Lord Pentland and all those figures said to me that Madame de Saltzman was scared of Jane Heap. Jane Heap died in 1964. He said she wasn't going to do anything uh, like that while Jane Heap was alive. Uh, even with Madame Land. Um she was not game to take Madame Land on directly. Um, it was more subtle. What she did, I was told this by someone who was with Madame Land all this period, and knew Madame de Saltzman and Maurice de Selle and Henri Tricol, knew all these people, said to me that while Madame Land was alive, Madame de Saltzman would have a special what she called a special advanced work for some people. But Madame Land was never a part of it. After Madame Land died, that work became the work for everybody. Um, that's what happened. Hmm. So it it seems that in the 1950s, Madame de Saltzman is rejecting something similar, um, or at least something which is described as passive. And incidentally, what Bennett said is that he began with this passive way with Subud, and then he found that although it opened him up in many interesting ways, he started to become will-less. He started to lose the strength of will that he'd had. So he had to go back to Gurdjieff's more active methods. Mm -hmm. Now, that's also what I found. I found that with the Jim Wyckoff New Work, you feel, a certain opening, you feel this is much easier, this is lighter. Why was I so heavy before? Why was I so ponderous? But then you start to find that you lose a certain mental ability, a certain mental strength. And, in fact, my memory started actually weakening uh, under the influence of this stuff, nothing to be done no effort to be made, this type of thing. And it's a little bit of a detour, but in the 1950s, Madame de Saltzman rejects it. In the 1960s, she comes to it via Zen. Um, It's introduced first in New York. And Duska Howard spoke to me about that as well. Duska said the same thing happened. She said Lord Pentland was converted to it and started letting other things go, um, displacing them in order to do this. Um, But it was only after Madame Land died in the 1980s that it was introduced in England. Mm. Now, what I'm saying is conjecture. I'm not certain of this. It's conjecture. But it's based on certain things I've been told by people in England and also the experience of Mrs. Stavely. Because Mrs. Stavely was introduced to the new work gradually in New York by a Madame de Saltzman, at one stage actually accepted it, but then rejected it. It seems to me that the new work was introduced gradually in Paris and in New York in the 1960s, and then built up steam but was introduced almost without any preparation in England after the death of Madame Land, which is what James Moore says. But as I mentioned earlier, that has to be a little bit nuanced. Um, someone I know that was there told me it wasn't as overnight as James Moore gives the impression of. He may not have been part of the small group, but there was a small group in the late 1970s in England who were being given the new work um, separately from everyone else.
3: Hmm.
2: Well, um, so at least on the surface, it it seems antithetical to what we have come to understand as uh, the Gurdjieff work, Uh, the battle between yes and no, the the friction of the eyes, the struggle to forge something in in seeing... um, what our resistance is to, to certain uh, work on ourselves and, and doing certain things. On the other hand, it sounds very nice. Um, you know, if, if, if you can empty your cup a little bit, it might be fuller. So, you know, there, there's that kind of argument, I guess, for why it, it might be a, a nicer work or a productive work. Um, but certainly at the expense of th- this uh, more active type of work um, that would seem to facilitate a, a forging in ourselves of, of greater strength and will and and uh, cognitive power, as you were saying, um, it it sounds as though it, it's a, a misdirection. And um, to, you know, I, I could almost understand, including it as a, an adjunct or as a, a counterpoint uh, or, or just um, a balancer or, or a supplement to uh, the rest of Gurdjieff's work. But, to, but for this movement to come into uh, um, prominence uh, seems um, a bit odd to mm-hmm. me, almost like a kind of a uh, distortion uh, in, in the way that you're, Analysis of uh, the New Works distortion of um, Beezlebub's biz- tales occurred.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's how I see it, Alan. I, I, I had a conversation with Jim Wyckoff in New York, I'm pretty sure it was 1994. And I said to him, Well, Mr. Wyckoff, Mr. Rady used to give us this preparation, and I went through the steps, you know the relaxation, the sensation, the receipt of the air, the feeling, the affirmation. And he got quite cranky. He said to me, oh, not only 80 did that, everybody had that, everybody does the same thing. But it, it wasn't true. They didn't actually do it not that way, um, not with that um, structure. Now, it doesn't mean that what the 80s did was invariable, rigid, monolithic. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I, uh, in that book, there were two different preparations, one from Mrs. 80, one from Mr. 80. And you can see the skeleton is the same, but different things are put, brought to the foreground in each of the preparations. And in the article, which I published on the preparation, I used
3: yet a third transcript um, and every time I give a
0: preparation it's slightly different so it's not really monolithic um, but I I mentioned that because I try I, I broached the subject with Jim Wyckoff I said this is what we did but we seem to be doing something different he said no no would we- He he wouldn't have it at all. And I I remember saying to him, Well, Mr. Adi was with Gurdjieff, and he said, Oh, well, Gurdjieff knew a lot of idiots too, Um, which is really no answer. Because I think the truth of the matter is that although there is some continuity between the work and what Gurdjieff brought, it is nonetheless very a very real distortion, and change.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, It is not the same work. The emphasis is different enough in sufficient areas for it effectively to be something, a a different species. Mm -hmm. So the people go to a group that's using the new work, and some groups would use it more than others, but they'll go to a group that's using the new work quite significantly and they wonder, is this Gurdjieff?
4: Mm-hmm. In your articles, you discuss the fact that some extremely important and critical concepts have been stripped out of um, schools that are utilizing the new uh, the new work. You know, concepts like the Table of Hydrogen, the Law of Seven, um, a number of really important concepts are just completely absent. And it seems to me like Gurdjieff himself was kind of stripped out of the work in the process of making it more zen.
0: Yeah. Um, This is something that Mrs. Stavely was very clear about. Um, She used to say she had the impression that they were embarrassed by Gurdjieff. Now, it's not entirely true, but she was saying that to make a point. Um, There was something there, there is something in that. Um, n- not only those ideas have effectively been removed, and I think the chief reason is, because I don't think that was Madame de Saltzman's forte. She mm. the, those, that type of ideas for the cosmology. They're not her forte. Mm. Look at reality of being. She's not referring to them. She's not speaking about the rate of creation. I'm not saying she wasn't intellectually capable. Clearly, she was very capable. But what she knew best were other things. And I think the problem is she then used those things only and she excluded the rest. Um, But then when uh, they transcribe anything by Gurdjieff, when they translate it, they leave out um, certain things um it's sanitized as it were uh there there are some examples i'm a bit i mean in the chechevich book that happens a lot uh, and in my volume gurdjieff contemplation i mentioned the way that they um leave a lot of things out and and change what was actually written there are some other examples. I'm, I'm a bit hesitant to use them because to mention them here, but there are certain things which Gurji have said which um, are in transcripts and are left out of the transcripts because it's it was felt they might be a bit indecent or scandalous or mm-hmm. something like that. Yes, that's right, controversial. Um, so, if anyone uh, wants the details, I can assure them I have them. But <laughs> some of them were given to me by people who didn't want to be known. But they said, "Look, this is what happened. This uh, transcript was produced in this way." Um, so I, I've got the details. But the thing is that a lot of the things which go GF. A lot of the ideas, particularly the cosmology, the ray of creation, the food diagram, I think the point was to work with them until we found how they were practical. Mm -hmm. Instead, what's been happening is they've been found hard and they've been put aside.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm reminded, um, I, last time we, we talked Joseph, I brought up, um, at the end of the show, I think I brought up, uh, William James Thompson's, um, thesis on John Bennett and, uh, and Gurdjieff. And after reading that and then, and also reading the stuff on the new work, um, I thought there was a bit of an irony and you've already brought out the main points of it. That in the fifties, Bennett was, um, if not cast out, you know there was a separation that uh, that occurred because of Bennett's pursuits, um, on on the for the reason that he was engaging in these um, non um pursuits and practices like subud, and yeah. and then. Um, Thompson, who's writing his thesis, he's writing it um, from references, it looks like he was writing it in the 80, in the 80s. And so he wasn't aware, I don't believe, at the time of the new work. So he's writing an argument basically that that is arguing that um, that Bennett was rejected and was still rejected, you know for this entire period still if you if you go online and you, and you see discussions of John Bennett, oftentimes there's there's still a, a friction between the the Bennett, Camp and the more foundation camp, and the and Bennett's written off as a, a kind of a maverick, uh, open to too much, open to too many different ideas, and not uh, not um, a stickler for the the Gurdjieffian tradition. But while this has all been going on, the the Gurdjieff Foundation groups have been had done essentially what they had accused Bennett of doing, and yet to a much greater degree, because as you pointed out, when Bennett was experimenting with Subud, he eventually ended up rejecting it and actually coming back to the Gurdjieff methods to the point where um, in the 70s, when he set up Sherborne, he he was teaching Gurdjieff's exercises, and I believe he was teaching like 50 of them or something like that, 50 plus of, the, of Gurdjieff's exercises, and he was like I've read a, a bunch of Bennett, not as much as not as much as you. I know you've been reading everything um, for your for your new book, but Bennett is usually very clear where he gets his ideas and and where what they're coming from and what's Gurdjieffian and what's not. He'll say, "Okay, I got this from Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff told me this," or if he's talking about something else, he'll he'll talk about something else. But he was he was so he was dedicated to to Gurdjieff, and um, and I'd say. Um, words escaping me but he was he was true to 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 gurdjieff in a way that it seems that the foundation groups now aren't and yet he was true to that i guess you could say he was true not just to the letter but to, to the spirit of of the gurdjieff work because he did bring in elements from all over the place he he was um he was a He researched all kinds of stuff in history and and other religions and he was like uh, he was a a, like a voracious seeker of truth and um and so you can see that in his work he doesn't he wasn't just limited to the, the 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 system as taught by you know uspensky and then gurdjieff that he received he he had wider horizons but at the same time was true to it and then you compare that to what Madame de Salzman kind of introduced, and with the group, the groups over the over the world then um, adopted from that, which was almost like a a turning away of from those other methods to something, and then giving that more energy to the point where, like you said, it it could cause someone coming to these groups for the first time to wonder, well, is, is this even Gurdjieff? Because um, I think in your book, in in reference to. Um, Madame de Saltzman's book, Reality of Being, and some of the exercises included in there, Some, it, it's often hard to to discern on the surface of things what is something that Madame de Saltzman is, has kind of created or introduced and what she's gotten from Gurdjieff. And we find the same thing in the movements. So uh, maybe we can move to, to the movements a bit because we find this same phenomenon happening um, in the transmission of... Gurdjieff's movements. Um, maybe just as an, an introduction, I'll share uh, just briefly my understanding of it, and then I'll get you to comment and and share what you know as well. Um, I you, you recently posted a review of Wim van Dullemen's book on the movements. Um, I'd re- I read it last year, and it, I, I enjoyed the book. And but there were a few parts that I found kind of somewhat infuriating because. Um, what I just said applies to the movements in the sense that when, this is my impression from from reading that, is that when a new student might join a Gurdjieff group today and start learning some of the movements they will be under the impression that they are learning um, a movement as taught by Gurdjieff and transmitted since, you know, since he was alive and after he died. And yet the reality is that first of all, you won't even be sure that you're receiving the complete movement. You might be receiving a fragment of it and under the impression that it's a complete work. And you might not even be sure if Gurdjieff had anything to do with it at all because there have been movements, movements that have been created after his death that are now attributed to Gurdjieff. So maybe using that as a launching off point, um, can you discuss a bit about how the, the, the movements play into this, to the new work broadly conceived?
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um there's no doubt except that the movements are very important in Gurdjieff's work and that Gurdjieff considered that each movement was a sort of a book that the book had to be as it were in your bones and you read it not the way you know we read a script but through direct experience. And so there are many things which can only be communicated through the movements, many experiences which you can only have through the movements, or at least will be facilitated through the movements. And I have mentioned before that understanding feeling, my first understanding of what feeling was in experience was in the movements with Mrs. Aidy. My own view, and I think Bennett says something similar, is that have tried to place in some of the movements, excuse me, some of the spiritual religious intensity of a religious ceremony, and some of them are named after religious ceremonies. Um So that that element of a very focused, very concentrated, higher emotion is given continuity in the movement because you're following the body, the mind is attentive, and if one is making efforts, a feeling can appear, And that feeling can be sustained, not only by the movement, but also by the music. So that's the first thing. The movements are very important in Gurdjieff's work. And he intended the movements to be known. He intended it. He intended that you learn a movement and you work at it. If you don't work at the movement as a whole, How can you read the book? Um, You're only, you know, it's impossible. It's like trying to read a text and you've only got some words from some sentences or this page, but not that page. Now, what happened was um, Gurdjieff, there were probably 250 movements now which can be reliably attributed to Gurdjieff, but not necessarily the complete movement. Um, Gurdjieff didn't ever give people written notes on how to do the movement. He never produced an actual choreography which set out what to do. People had to remember them and then transmit them you were to learn the movement, to know the movement. And this has had the inevitable result that there are different versions of different movements and in some movements, the parts of it are lost, lost forever. Mm -hmm. And something has been reconstructed and the reconstructions by Madame de Saltzman are probably the best reconstructions possible but they're still reconstructions. And at least Bennett is, is honest about what he's doing when he's adding things to movements. Now, there are many movements which were very well remembered by Madame de Saltzman and Jessman Howard in particular. Uh, but there were many other people, countless other people, um, who worked with the movement. So if you're in a group, which is using the Gurdjieff movements, you are at least engaging with them. But at some point, and I'm not sure exactly when it was, Madame de Saltzman decided that the movements should not be taught as a whole movement. One should only learn part of the movements. Now, there is a certain point to that. I'm I'm not saying this is completely reprehensible and idiotic. There is a certain point to it. First of all, one nonetheless has the benefit of being on the floor for an hour or thereabouts, working in the present moment with those gestures, postures, displacements, and that is something one can have very, very powerful impressions from that. I I don't deny that. And maybe that is even the most important part of them, though I don't think it is, but you can make a case for that. And then it would just be a question of your opinion, my opinion, and, of course, Madame de Saltzman's opinion would have far more weight than mine. But the other reason she had was that People were learning the movements and then teaching them outside of the foundation in a manner she considered inauthentic. And again, that has to be respected. That um, she didn't want the movements being taught um, without the whole of the teaching. That is good. That is right. But what happened is that by trying to protect and preserve the movements, incidentally, protect was the word that Jim Wyckoff used to use. He always used to say you have to protect the movements. So you weren't even allowed to study the movements. Um, I'll come back to that because the 80s wanted us to study the movements. You weren't allowed to practice the movements. The 80s insisted on practicing the movements, which is what Gurdjieff did. By trying to protect the movements with that degree of rigour, what they've effectively done is stop the movements fulfilling what I think is their highest purpose, which is the learning and experience of an entire movement from beginning to end with the group that is studying it. So let's say movement number one. If there is something in movement, number one, if it is a book to be experienced with the whole of myself and not just read with a part of the mind, I have to work at the movement as a whole. And not just once, but maybe many times. And then maybe something will start to crystallize within me. Well. That's not being done now, if it is being done, that's the exception. They will work in a movement for a little bit for a while and then leave it. so I think that the effort to protect the movements has actually resulted in the loss of the movement
1: it um when we were when you were talking about the exercises um you mentioned that when you were doing the more passive work, that you found that your memory was um, your memory wasn't as good. And I think yeah. that's, it's an interesting um, coincidence or, or symbol that there is a problem with memory in all of these phenomena, in that the, the exercises are being or have been forgotten, and movements are being or have been forgotten. Um, I think one of the the points that um, Van Dulleman makes in his book is that a lot of the teachers teaching the movement fragments themselves aren't aware that they're teaching movement fragments. That yeah. Um, that a lot of the movements probably have been forgotten within the the foundation because, like you say, they've been so protective that that the the people themselves, the teachers themselves, ha- don't have the haven't had the experience to actually memorize them, and so they don't. They they've actually forgotten what they were presumably what they, what they presumably set out to teach in the first place, which I think is just a tragedy. And, um, and it also relates, there's a, a similar phenomenon in the, the public presentation of the movements, because I mean, the one reason that probably a big reason that anybody in the, in the twenties ever found out about Gurdjieff was from his public demonstrations of the movements in in Paris and New York. And, um, and and they he'd done public demonstrations before then when they were in uh, I believe like in, in G- Georgia and Turkey, and that has that has almost completely stopped or al- that almost completely stopped after the um, after Gurdjieff's death, which which I think is it's it's, it's unfortunate because um, and there does exist um, um, a, a kind of archival production that Madame de Saltzman worked on for years and years, which I think is, is good. She made, I believe, seven or eight or something films of various movements, um, including some of, um, you know, many that were made by, including st- um, students that were actually taught by Gurdjieff himself. So there is a, a record of a lot of these things, but they aren't publicly available. Um, you know, um, and a lot of Gurdjieff um, students themselves don't see them or if they have seen them you know maybe maybe get to watch them very infrequently it's not something that you can sit down and study for instance it's, a, it's an experience um, well and that just to as a, a slight aside I'm getting I'm getting out some of the some of my uh, some of the things that frustrates me that, that frustrate me apparently now maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong about this uh, Joseph um, Gurdjieff's apartment was intended by if not Gurdjieff then his family to be a museum and but, but what it has turned into is almost a museum but only for for Gurdjieff Foundation members and um i think well and uh, well where i stand on that is should be kind of obvious i don't want to i don't want to say anything mean but i, I think that there's been the, the the secrecy involved oftentimes has gone a bit too far to the extent where to the extent that like I mentioned, that things are actually being forgotten, and um, and Gurdjieff's legacy and the works that he created um, haven't—I I don't think—gotten the the attention and the exposure that I think they deserve. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Joseph?
0: Yeah, um, th- the question about the apartment. I have read that. I, I'm fairly sure that um, Lubogergiev says something like that, that they thought the apartment was going to be available as a museum and then they found it was closed. I, I've heard some rather odd things about the apartment. I don't know. I've never been there and I don't have any firsthand knowledge. I haven't discussed it with um anyone but does have first hand knowledge. So all I have heard is the sort of thing that you have heard. But then there there are very odd anecdotes like um someone was there with Madame de Saltzman. I think I can hmm. remember who it is, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. So I won't mention the person's name. But um I do remember the anecdote because it struck me as odd. When they were shown the apartment, there was a shelf of books there. And Madame de Saltzman said, oh, they put books in to make it look as if he read books. That struck me as very odd. Um, How would the books have got there if Madame de Saltzman hadn't approved it? Who would have put the books in or allowed them to remain there but her? And um, so what if there were books in the apartment? Um, Not everyone goes there. Very few people go there. It's not as if it sends the wrong message to the world. It was just a very, very odd thing. Mm. Um, And yet this is... um, what's reported, I'm told that there have been changes to the apartment. I don't really know. Um, that That's not so um, critical for me. The the really critical thing is um, the what we experienced after Mr. Rady's death, that a new work had effectively displaced the former work and there was no transparency about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was denied, you know, it was gaslighted. Mm-hmm. Um and oh Mr. AD yeah, didn't understand. Um w- with the movements, Mrs. Ad taught us four movements a year. And by the end of that year, you you had really worked at those movements. You had the complete movement. Um, you wouldn't necessarily remember it for terribly long. You'd remember parts of it, but you had had the experience of working at the complete movement precisely. If you took the wrong posture or wrong gesture, Mrs. Aidy would correct it. If there was something wrong with the energy, the force, which was being brought to the movement, if it was too rough, too coarse, not sensitive enough, or maybe if it was too weak, not vigorous enough, Mrs. Zadie would correct it. It was an experience to work over those four movements during the course of a calendar year. If you don't have that experience, then I think the most important aspect of the movements is being denied to you. And these are Gurdjieff's pupils. And if you are not working with the exercises and the ideas the way Gurdjieff brought them, if you're being told not to formulate a name or you're not being given help in formulating a name, you're not being given the most critical part of the Gurdjieff legacy. And, And as you were saying about Bennett, Bennett has the great virtue of being honest and transparent about what he was doing. And when you read the Bennett exercises, and and I have the Bennett exercises, he will say, this comes from here, this comes from there. Or he will say, this is from Gurdjieff. And if Bennett says it's from Gurdjieff, it's from Gurdjieff.
2: So, Joseph, in our last conversation, um, one of the books that you had recommended highly was Catherine Hume's Undiscovered Country, which I had read Mm. since then. And uh, this was a fascinating uh, personal account of her instruction um, by Gurdjieff in his latter years and the exercises that he had given her and that she had faithfully followed that he had tailor-made for herself and some of the women of the rope that uh, they were working with. And there were a few occasions in the book where she mentions Gurdjieff's suggestion that she do those exercises with, and I'm paraphrasing, maybe you remember the term, I I don't, but I think it was humanity-ness or something to that effect Which was uh, with the, that Catherine Hume should do those exercises with the intention of being uh, or keeping humanity in mind and that her Mm. personal work would Mm. somehow be of benefit to others. And when I was rereading your web exercise today, there was, uh, you mentioned the desire that all benefit as a result. So I was wondering, Joseph, if you can speak a little bit to uh, Gurdjieff's suggestion to his students, uh, through the exercises, that they imbue their work with the intent to think of others, to think of the betterment of um, people other than themselves and their group that they're working with.
0: Yes. and. It was definitely a feature of what Gurdjieff brought. And it was not only there, there are other exercises as well, which I didn't publish, which have something similar. And there's an ablutions discipline, which he recommended be done every day, involving uh, the shock of cold water. And at one point, when cold water is applied to a certain part of the body, one prays, Lord, have mercy, and has all of humanity in mind. Um, From what I can see, this is something which Bennett uh, picked up very well and developed very well. I'm not saying other people didn't, but I know that Bennett did it, and I can say that. Um, And again, I think that Gurdjieff intended his work to have an impact on life, that is, life in general, Um, not only within the Gurdjieff groups. The Gurdjieff groups were not meant to be little sort of silos of um, illumination um, separated from the greater darkness or something like that. Now, I'm not saying that that was anyone's attitude, but this actually making a
3: connection, even in intention, um, is, well, it's something Gurdjieff had very
0: much. Madame de Saltzman in the new work does have something about the energy being received, the higher force coming
3: down, because the planet needs it. And that's good. Um, Full credit for that. But I think there's also something more specific in
0: exercises like the web exercise Um, and in what Gurdjieff... Sorry, I'm going to take something a little bit out of uh, turn now, Mm -hmm. but it is related. It's the idea of holding the thought for someone else. Um, there is a There are transcripts where Gurdjieff says to people, uh, you can help these people. You can wish to help them. You can say, I wish to work so that I may be and that you and all humanity will benefit. And he says, if you work that way, with that wish, he says the wish will be answered. He says the person won't go 10 steps before they find someone who helps them. Mrs. Stavely brought this very well, the idea of wishing for someone. Mr. Ady had it, but not as clearly as Mrs. Staveley. Mr. Rady would give it to you as personal advice to hold the thought for someone else, that connection with someone else. And he would say, what are they connected to? Are they connected to an evolving part of creation or are they connected to someone who is asleep? And stressing that our influences, we are influences. Um, even the way we leave a room influences the next person who comes into the room. How I am influences you, how you are influences me, our influences. Uh, entering one another reciprocally. In fact, so on some occasions, Mr. Ady would say a person's life is his influences, those which he receives and those which he imparts. Hmm. The web exercise is an extraordinary exercise which um, I had never known in that form from anyone,
3: not from uh, Mr. Ady, Mrs. Staveley, Jim Wyckoff or anyone. A group, a real group make a connection on a higher
0: level and they hold that connection and he says that the connection between those people,
3: if they're in a city
0: such as Paris, can form a network and it's a real network, and a force and energy can flow along that network and even have the effect of warming the city. Now, it's an extraordinary idea. Maybe the idea is more important than the question of whether it's literally true or not. I can't say that I have any knowledge that this sort of work can have an effect upon a city, although certainly I would not reject the idea and I would like to believe that we could work at such a level. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But I can say this. I've entered a room eight hours after a group has left it. And the influence of that group in that room has been so strong; it was as if I could see the people there. I can Mm. still sense them. Um, I almost, I almost had a hallucination that the people were still in that room. So strong was the influence. Mm. I've had connections with people in the work. (coughs) Excuse me. So strong that. Time and time, sorry, space has not mattered. I won't say time hasn't mattered. Space hasn't mattered. Um, the connection with them is absolutely immediate. And other people tell me that they've had experiences where even
3: time has disappeared. So there is something very
0: real here. What it is and how far it can go is something for us to discover. But I feel that this element, that what we do has to be able to be a positive influence in the world, is one of the aspects of Gurdjieff's legacy, which we should be exploring and developing. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Now, it needs wisdom. It needs prudence. But we should be having an effect in the world. And, And how do we do that? Well, one way is person to person. I'm a priest. I meet a lot of people. What sort of influence am I? My being is going to be the chief determinant of that. You have your occupations. You have your lives. You meet people. you influence influenced from that way. But maybe a group, a real group, And you can assemble people, you can have the same assemblage every week, and it won't be a group. It won't be an organic unity
3: with an identity of its own. Maybe a real group could do something more. Why not have a hospital or a school or something like that? There are some schools
0: uh, begun by people using Gurdjieff's ideas
3: and by all accounts they have a real value to the communities that they're in or maybe
0: more could be done along those lines but i think that something like the web exercise could be used by a group to bond the group to make the group stronger to lift its level never forgetting humanity as a whole Mm
1: -hmm. Joseph, could you describe the web exercise uh, briefly, or or um, or would you like to to read it or have me read a, a section from it, so that well, our listeners can I'll, know I'll, what we're talking about
0: here? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll I'll speak to the essence of it. Um, with the essence of it, um, th- there is a group of people um, who are meeting regularly for the purposes of self-development. And we come to an agreement, we take it as an exercise that when we're not together, we nonetheless hold the thought of one another. We try and sense some connection. And visualisation is an important part of this. I actually visualise other members of the group now there are different ways to do it i can we can try and choose the same time or
3: we can try and certainly make it a daily thing that we represent
0: the other members in the group and we have a feel. i have a feeling of myself in relation to you so that i am here you are there but. I have your faces before me. I have a feeling of myself in relation to you.
3: I sense a connection, maybe. I don't invent it, but okay, something
0: starts to appear within me. My feeling starts to change. There's something more real here now. This connection is no longer purely theoretical. It exists in my feeling, which is where it will feel. And the longer I remain before it, the more the feeling spreads, the more it changes my actual being state. And if
3: this effort is sustained by all of us, we become related almost as a living being of a higher form. That, that's how I would put the
0: essence of it. And then if people wish to know the details, it's in the transcripts they've been published. It's also in the book with a commentary. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow.
2: Well, j- just a, getting back to Catherine Hume for just a moment. Um, it's, it's just fascinating to me that the sincerity with which she pursued and listened to Gurdjieff's exercises and and his his suggestions to her for self-work would result in her being someone who would end up assisting displaced persons after World War II in the numbers of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, And she took a leadership role. So while there is a lot of modesty around that fact in her book I think it just it's it's right there you know it, it may be that she had this inner goodness uh in diamond form prior to meeting Gurdjieff and and working on, her, on herself but it it just seems hard to deny that she did did find a way to channel all of her self work into a very practical um, outside work with others that was amazing to me.
3: Yeah.
0: And it's not just what's done, Elan, it's how it's done. I can be involved in all sorts of philanthropic activities. Mm-hmm. But the more present I am, the more feeling I have for myself, the more effective my work will be. Um, I can be the head of a charity and be venal, short-sighted, selfish, and the charity will suffer. It's how the charity is given. Um, There can be two nurses who do exactly the same thing but, or two doctors giving exactly the same prescription. But the more spiritual the doctor is, the more genuinely compassionate the nurse is, Mm -hmm. the more effective and the fuller what they deliver is. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's partly what we do, but it's also
3: my state of being as I do it, my aim in what I do.
0: And Gurdjieff was, that's why Gurdjieff's insistence on aim is so important on seeing where I become selfish. It's something to work against if I'm in those positions. And incidentally, um, Gurdjieff himself, Um, fed a lot of people who otherwise would have been very hungry. Um, Not that much is known about it, not that much is made of it. Uh, I've even read suggestions that he protected Jewish people from the Nazis during World War II. Um, His wife, Julia, was Jewish. Um, So he had that personal
3: connection there. Uh, but Gurdjieff was very quiet about what he did, but it was
0: very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a reminiscence. I'm not sure whether it's fiction or whether it's a factual reminiscence in a novel, but it's about a woman in Paris who said that it was the example of Gurdjieff which gave her the strength to go on you know, this is World War II, mm-hmm. he did a lot of humanitarian work in his own backyard. And and, and that's the thing. Um, it is good to organise things. I mean, here at the church, we have um, works. We have um, charitable organisations. Uh, people go out and feed the homeless. That's very good. It's essential. and. Um, I encourage, uh, we all encourage people to join in that sort of thing. But the first thing is to be able to be present myself so that I see the needs around me. I I can be so focused on going next door to brush the teeth of a person next door, but I don't see the needs in my own house. And those I can understand better, I can do more with. And then when I'm responsible to keep going out, keep going further, um, that's how I see it. Uh, I'm not, uh, as I'm saying, I am in favour of philanthropy.
3: Um, we dedicate a lot of resources. We put a lot of effort into it. But. I'm only comfortable doing it because I'm able to begin here and find
0: something here, an impulse, which I think is cleaner and
3: more genuinely compassionate. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of that impulse and um, because you brought up the example of a philanthropist who might not have any significant level of being right who is doing it for selfish reasons who's short-tempered and um, a jerk who no one necessarily likes necessarily likes but who maybe just for his own ego and because of his rich because of his riches can Donates a, a lot to some to 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 whomever um, in order to be perceived as a um, as a great philanthropist. And of course, there have been several personalities like that among the the rich and famous over the over history. Um, but in contrast to that, you have an impulse a a, a, a genuine impulse to philanthropy. Um, it reminds me of the the widow's might slightly different context, but a a similar, a similar, um, principle at work that there is something to the, the intention and where that comes from. And I think that the exercises and the, even in a broader context, the kind of the contemplative life is a, a means of letting those impulses be recognized or and be experienced um, and this so that the the exercises are kind of facilitate the the reception of those impulses so that they can that be experienced and then expressed clearly as opposed to being distorted and filtered through the um, through all of the all of the all of the things that you've spoken about, in the beginning of the show that that have been ignored in the new work like negative emotions like you know pride and vanity and self-importance and all of the things that get in the way of not only doing the right thing but having the the even the impulse to do the right thing the the genuine impulse so um, this is all I'm, I'm saying all this to lead to um, another exercise um, because in your book you describe it as um, one of the one of the foundational exercises. This is in the third series, and life is real only then when I am. Um, I wanted to talk about the second assisting exercises, as it's called in the book, um, because mm-hmm. because it it does seem it does seem to be um, a foundational exercise, which at the same time incorporates elements of simpler exercises that might be a better starting point, but this kind of presents. A bunch of those together in a unified form, and I think that's probably why it's so important. So I was wondering if you could disc- um, talk a bit about the second assisting exercise. What the what some of the elements of it are, and um, maybe we could get into either a specific discussion of this exercise and and what what purpose it serves, or a more general one on on the effect of. Or what might be the goal of perceiving, of uh, performing exercises like this, to to I'd say, clear the space for, well, for the reception of, of, um, of an impulse like that.
0: Yeah. So with the second assisting exercise, which he put in the third series, so that it would be preserved accurately, it incorporates. All three centres as it were. The body because for example I sense my right foot. I'm aware that my right foot is in my boot, the boot is on a carpet and I can sense the foot, the uh, arch in the foot, the toes, the difference between the toes, the sides, where the heel presses the ground. There, there's a very definite very uh, informative sensation of the right foot, uh, which is in itself something, and already having some sensation of one's right foot, your your state starts to change. And and incidentally, the tempo of one's entire person starts to change, and the change of tempo is very important, of course. And then I'm still looking at you. I still see you and we're still speaking, but my attention is divided now. And as I mentioned in the book, that word divided is very important. De videre, to see too. I'm aware of myself, I'm aware of you. And at the same time, something is able to speak. Now, because I'm speaking, it's a bit harder for me to be aware of the reception of the breath, but nonetheless, There is something, I know that the lungs are filling, they're moving and something is starting to settle, to light up in the region of the solar plexus, which does happen when one consciously receives the breath. There are higher elements in the air and those elements are received. And then at the same time, So now I have the sensation of the body localised in the foot. I have some quality of feeling localised in the chest and associated with the air because the air is the specific food for the feeling. And then finally, there's a very, very fine intellectual substance which localises somewhere in the head. When I say intellect, it's a high form of intellect. It's not the intellect we use when we work at our change at the supermarket. And there's a certain substance which accumulates in the head as a result of efforts I've made in the past. It's possible even while I'm speaking with you and have some awareness of the right foot and the chest for this substance
3: to be moved down into the chest where it mingles with the air and the feeling. It mingles, it blends, it digests, and this
0: changes my state of being. My state of being is now better than it had been. That shows in several ways. I have a better sense of the whole of myself, a better feeling of myself being here. The connection with us is as strong as it was when I was describing the web exercise. And at the same time, I'm able to speak without necessarily going out to the formatory apparatus, that lower part of the brain, which finds the words. That part of the mechanism works quite well by itself. And something appears behind all these parts which maybe represents the whole and is able to be present as a collected whole while engaged in life. So now I'm living two lives simultaneously. I'm speaking with you and also this other life is going on. And something similar is happening with yourselves. You are listening to me, but there's something higher happening with you. It passes along the connection which has been established between us. So it's an extraordinary exercise. And we used to use it with Mr. Rady from time to time.
3: Interestingly, I can't work at this exercise for too long. But if I have worked at it
0: sincerely, it leaves a very definite trace and I can return to that. And then a certain variety is needed. If I try and work this exercise every day for a year, it no longer has the same effect because the organism is designed so that it starts to accustom itself to these things if they're repeated beyond a certain uh, number of occasions. But then there are other exercises which can be used before ideals, and so on. So some variety is good. But nonetheless, the exercise is there. It was published uh, back in the 1970s. I've extracted it and commented on it. And I think that if people could work with it, I think they would find it brings a real difference to their lives.
1: Thank you one thing that we didn't discuss in the first part of the show um, that i want to just comment on briefly and get your thoughts on it joseph is the is Gurdjieff's writings and one of the articles that you've written is a an introduction to the the letter that was written by mrs stavely i believe and signed and co-signed by others about the 1992 publication of a a new an alleged New translation of Beelzebub's tales, and you've already um, alluded to a similar phenomenon that has gone on, has happened to the transcripts of Gurdjieff's talks, um, and the kind of um, the mendacity I- involved in some instances, like the talks and like Chechevich's book, the translation of it, and um, so. Maybe for viewers and listeners who aren't familiar with the story, maybe you could just give a bit of background on Beelzebub's tales and then the appearance of this new translation in 92, I believe it was, or or was it 93? Um, just maybe, yeah, tell us the story about that and then what it all means. Yeah, well, as I said
0: out in the book, From the very beginning, Gurdjieff was writing. Even when Uspensky first met Gurdjieff in 1915, a very, very lengthy article, Glimpses of Truth, had been written at Gurdjieff's direction by some of Gurdjieff's pupils. (coughs) Excuse me. And it was meant to let people know about Gurdjieff's system and to encourage them to work with him and to work on themselves. I am quite sure for the reasons given in the book and which were confirmed by Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff mentioned Vista Bennett. The agreement was that Uspensky would write a book uh, which would explain the system to people. That book was in search of a miraculous. The whole story of the reason that In Search of a Miraculous was not published in the 1920s or 30s, as it was to have been, has not yet been written. It may never be known. But the point is Gurdjieff wanted a book to be written. That's the point. And he got other people to work on it. Uh, first of all, the unknown authors of Glimpses of the Truth, then Uspensky. And then after the um, separation from Uspensky, he decided, again, the motor vehicle accident um, was an important part of this. Um, He decided that he would write his own book. And so he wrote a book called Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson. Now, He projected three series of books of which Beelzebub's was only the first series. The first series was to be critical, to critique our ideas of ourselves and our world. The second uh, series, which was Meetings with Remarkable Men, was to prepare the ground for the third series which would set out the truths, which he had learnt during his life. So the first series was critical. The second series was broadly to prepare the feeling of a new world, um, to prepare one and um, encourage one to then study the third series and to put those truths into operation in one's life. I've oversimplified it a bit, but maybe it's a fair simplification. And incidentally, um, he may even have begun writing some of the stories which ended up in the second series, Meetings with Remarkable Men, before the accident, before Beelzebub. Kyrgyz actually paid more attention to writing than has generally been thought. Now, he worked on Beelzebub with Alfred Arage, who was then considered the leading critic in English literary circles. And there's no doubt except that Orage was really something of a genius with the language. Um, Gurdjieff called him a super idiot, which um, in Gurdjieff's um, terminology was quite some compliment. He worked with Farage, but not only with Farage, also with people like Jane Heap and Jean Turmer on this book, Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson, the second series, and also the third series. Araz did definitely work on the second series. I think he worked on the third series as well. But he may but Gurdjieff may have lost the original manuscript of it. Anyhow, to cut a long story short, a version of Belzebub was prepared and published in very limited numbers for the American group, which was Araz's group in 1931. Gurdjieff did not consider that the final version, although he committed its publication and sale. He continued to work, particularly on Bub's tales. I'm not sure, and I don't know anyone is sure, when the final complete version of Beelzebub was drawn up. It might be known, that certainly I think by about 1939, Beelzebub was in its final form. But he still didn't publish. He published, he arranged for it to be published only in 1949, there were certain questions around the publication. I won't go into those. But as Mrs. Stavely said, he allowed himself to die when he'd corrected the galley proofs of the book and sent the book out. And he had spent a lot of time with that final version, reading it, having it read in front of, sorry, having it read in front of people, observing them, making changes, revising it. He put a lot of work into it and he sent it to the press. There were certainly typographical errors in the press and he told at least two people that something in the book would have to be sorted out later on. Uh, C.S. Knott records Gurdjieff saying it's a rough diamond, but..." That will have to be fixed up later on. And um, someone who knew Madame de Saltzman says that she said to him that Gurdjieff asked her to revise Beelzebub. Okay, Uh, I accept that those comments were probably made. The question is, which revisions? What revisions? How far? So this book on which he had placed a lot of his hopes and which he had worked with intensively during the last years of his life, having multiple readings of it, he even apparently wanted it to be given out to people for free if necessary. He certainly wanted the price of it to be affordable. He wanted people to be able to take it with him, it was important to him. That book appeared in 1950, and then in 1992,
3: a new revision of the book appeared. Now, the
0: English version appeared before the German or the French, and when they appeared, they were shorter than the English version. In fact, the French version was
3: significantly shorter than the English version. The the
0: 1950 edition had gone out of print and then the 1992 edition appeared. And there is a bit more history, but I'll leave it out for the sake of um, being understandable. When the 1992 edition appeared, a number of people were horrified. Chief among them, and most effective of all, was Mrs Stavely. And names uh, Moore comments. It was interesting. There was Mrs Staverley, a little old woman uh, in Oregon. Her hair pulled back in a bun. Uh, very frail, uh, only her group around her in Oregon. And she took on Madame de Saltzman and the International Foundation with all its resources, all its many thousands of members, and Mrs. Daverley won. Um, <laughs> and the reason was because she was correct. Madame de Saltzman, if Madame de Saltzman had simply corrected the typographical errors and as I suggest, maybe added some notes on the meaning of some of the Russian words, that would have been fine. Because there are some issues about um, what some of the words in Russian mean and how they can be misinterpreted. But don't change the book because the book was written in Russian and Armenian and then translated whom Gurdjieff had trained in accordance with their capacities and the language into which it was to go. And that is the translation which Gurdjieff approved. It's been said by Defenders of Madame de Saltzman, and I'm not criticising Madame herself. I believe she sincerely had an error of judgment here. It's been said by the defenders that Madame um, was asked to revise it. I don't believe she was asked to rewrite it. I'm sorry. Revise does not necessarily mean to rewrite it the way that it was. Gurdjieff had approved it. It was an objective work of art. No one could produce an objective work of art. Except Madam, Mrs. Staverly said to me, How could anybody know better than Gurdjieff what Gurdjieff intended to go out? It's ridiculous. And Mrs. Staverly is right. It was ridiculous. And people have understood instinctively even, that it is ridiculous. And that's why Mrs. Staveley won. Because much as I respect and even like some of the people who were engaged in the new translation, it was not the right thing to do. The new translation was not prepared by translators by Gurdjieff himself. He did not approve that text. Um They hadn't it was not theirs to change. It was Gurdjieff's. And none of them have his being. I Look, Madame de Saltram was clearly an astounding woman. Um, many people whom I respect were tremendously impressed by her, although I never met her myself, but she was not Gurdjieff. And anyhow, because of Mrs. Staveley's stand, two translations are now available. Not even—I don't even think the 1992 translation is readily available. I think that um, has disappeared. The translation, the alternative translation, now is one that was made by the foundation, going back to the Russian version. Um, A lady called. Lily Galumnian worked very closely with Gurdjieff on the Russian. And um, she, by all accounts, was an extraordinary woman. Um, and she bore a son to Gurdjieff. Sergei, her son, was Gurdjieff's natural son. She went back to Armenia after Gurdjieff closed the Priory. And I don't know what happened to her after that. But um, her Russian edition, Gurdjieff's Russian edition with her help was the basis of the new translation so that's that's my take on it um, I read the 1992 translation once um, I had a very funny feeling about it it, it struck me as being somehow uh, mixed maybe even a little bit dirty I don't like to say that but I I think that the version Gurdjieff produced has to be understood as a work of art, sorry, a work of objective art, almost as sacred scripture. Um, It was what he approved. So much as I respect uh, and even like some of the people from the foundation who defend what Madame de Saltzman did, I don't think it's really a question of, Uh, Did Gurdjieff have good enough English? Did uh, it accord closely enough with the French? There were typos, that type of thing. What did Gurdjieff intend? The point is that was the only edition which Gurdjieff approved in English. No one had his being. No one had his understanding. Although English wasn't his first language, he approved it. He believed he understood English well enough to approve it. I can't see anything after that.
4: Well, and as you as you write on your website, up to I think you said a hundred pages were removed um, from Beelzebub's Tale in the ninety two version, and in many passages, uh, the entire meaning of sentences and phrases was sometimes flipped. And many edits were made that, in order to make it more readable to the general audience. But as you stated, um, one of the main purposes that Gurdjieff had in in recording that in the in his obtruse styles it was was to force you to to think and to reflect critically upon the the strange uh, associations that would bubble up to the surface as you're reading his his very. Um, kind of alchemical and strange writing style and it's so like as you as you said it it was an objective work of art and you can't go in and completely change the meaning um and remove you know and gut gut the the book Uh, it's it was a very fascinating story about miss staveley standing up for um the intentions you know and the the orthodoxy i guess in the face of of that kind of a radical um, reinterpretation, and as you, as we've been discussing all along, the uh, a radical um, distortion s- distortion of the of the intention of Gurdjieff's heart and soul that went into that has gone into this this work that that has fed so many people, both you know, literally in his lifetime, and then also. Spiritually, intellectually, morally, um, so many people who who gained so much, and that I guess you know, especially during the '90s, we're just left confused. You know, I just couldn't imagine the utter, utterly confused at this new, radical, new reinterpretation and distortion mm-hmm. of of this message. So I, I, I just reading your work and and reading the articles, and definitely recommend everybody to check those out because it's. Um, you know, it's it's no small task to kind of go back and and write the history and to set the record straight and mm-hmm. to you know we have this this mission this mission to to restore you know well, the integrity some of the integrity that has been lost to such a, a great great man and a and a great tradition it could be a great tradition. The exercises that you that you have they they can really they could impact people in mm-hmm. a very in a way that's that that uh nothing else could really you know come compare to and in especially in a time like today when we need this kind of uh these kinds of impulses towards goodness in humanity towards goodness towards one another more than more than ever
0: Mm. i agree thanks
4: i think one of the
1: core points in what you were just saying Corey about, about Gurdjieff's legacy and, and what uh, Joseph is you know, doing with some of these posts that he's, he's put up and his writing in general is to simply tell the truth and that's I, I, I don't know I, I suppose that isn't a, an impulse that everyone has is that, or, or a, a value that everyone has, the value for truth but um, there are there are issues. There are like areas of gray where, like, where does mythology fall? Where does you know scripture fall? Where does where does uh, a parable fall? Is there in a strict dichotomy or a strict comparison between truth and lies? Then a, a, a fictional story is a lie because it didn't happen. But there's obviously truth to it, mm-hmm. and. In even in Gurdjieff's writings, in in meetings with remarkable men, how much of that happened literally as he said it did, and how much of it was was a, a, a parable, and how much much of it was just a joke, um, you know, a, a little wink and nod. Um, even in Beelzebub's tales, you can't know that 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 for to any degree of certainty. But beneath all that, there is a, a commitment to a truth, a, a truth even below that level of literal truth or falsehood. And I think that that um, convi- that conviction or that um, that conviction in, in the truth it seems to have been missing in a lot of these decisions, whether it was at some level in the chain of bureaucracy within the, the Gerja Foundation, who knows, But there is a, an almost like disdain for the truth that seems at least it seems to be that way when looking in from the outside. Like with the with the translation, the the new trans. Well, they called the the new book the the new version of Beelzebub, a, a revised translation, a new translation. But I believe it was it might have been Robin Bloor, or um, another. I can't I can't remember for sure. But uh, I read an analysis of of the 1992 edition, like a a, a pretty in an in depth one, that basically showed that the the base text for the new translation. Wasn't the like the Russian original, as it says in the in the notice at the oh. beginning of the book? It was actually the English version that Orage had had composed that, with Gurdjieff. and that that was so. They it wasn't a fresh translation; it was an edit of the of the original version that had been written and approved by Gurdjieff with Orage and others. And then, like you mentioned, the Chechevich um, translations. And then there's a there uh, another one is the the transcripts. And there's one that uh, just just as another example of this. On top of the the movements too, and the presentation of certain movements and exercises as being from Gurdjieff or complete when they aren't, so again a total um, misdirection from from what the truth is. That is the the publication which I adore of the 1943 meetings. Uh, you know, a big thick book of a whole bunch of stuff that's never been published before. But in the preface to that, it says that. There are other versions going around of these talks that have been edited and truncated, essentially. But um, here they are. Here's the real ones. And when you compare the two of them, it's the official version that's now been published that is truncated, where entire sections are missing from, the, from, the, from them as presented. And like you said, it's, it seems to indicate an embarrassment of what Gurdjieff actually wrote, because from a certain perspective, some of these passages might be controversial, Um, one was just about how a man should interact with his wife and some of the statements that Gurdjieff makes are, are slightly controversial in our day and age, but if you look at what he was actually saying, there's a lot of, um, good hearted, I'd say, and well-intentioned and actually good advice in there and and truth in there. But even if he was wrong, um, you don't have to cover up for, for Gurdjieff. I mean, Gurdjieff can, (laughs) he, he, um, he put himself out there in such a way as to get a lot of um, criticism and um, um, negative attention. But he brought that on himself and he did it intentionally. And I think that the the best approach is just to, just to be honest. To be honest about what you're doing and be honest about the past. And to pre- present that as, well... From one perspective, just as a historian should, here's what actually happened to the to to the best of our knowledge. Here's what happened, but um, so that's why I'm really thankful for your work in particular, among others. Joseph is to actually give try try to attempt to give as much of that true story as possible. This is what happened, and um, this is what Person A says, but. This is what person B says, and this is what seems to actually have been the case. So I just want to thank you for for doing that and um, maybe ask if you just have any comments on the last few things we've had to say
3: here.
0: I think that the BRGF um, system, the methods and the ideas have a much greater effect when used in their integrity as a whole. I am not saying that people don't receive anything when they go to one of those uh, groups which use more of the new work, but I don't believe that they are, first of all, receiving something which is authentically Gurdjieff. full stop. There is continuity there, but it's been mixed with something extraneous. And things which are authentically Gurdjieff are excluded because they would be inconsistent with what's being done. Um, in particular, the um, exercises which I think by the end of his life, Gurdjieff felt were absolutely critical. In the book, I explain why I believe he felt he had to introduce the exercises. And once he did, he produced many of them. These have to be used in their integrity to have their results. They are the sort of glue that holds all the different elements together. Without the exercises, I can have wonderful experiences in movements. I can have good experiences doing this or doing that. But the permanent change of being, a stabilization on a higher level, I think, needs the exercises. That's my personal view. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. And that's why I think that highlighting what Gurdjieff did with his exercises and showing how it ties in with the
3: mystical tradition of humanity has been important. But the The thing is to use them in their integrity. They can be, it doesn't mean
0: you can't read things from other traditions. I mean, Bennett showed the way. Bennett, even to the end of his life when he was using Gurdjieff's method, Bennett went to meet the Shiva Puri Baba. He was working with Sufis and Dervishes from Turkey. One actually acquires more confidence and more openness to these other traditions, because one has a place in oneself which is stable. So I I think it's important um, for people who wish to use Gurdjieff's methods to use them in their authentic and integral whole.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's a, a good point to end the show on. So thank you again, Joseph, for joining us. It's been a blast. It's been a blast hearing from you.
0: Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Yelan. Thanks, Harrison. Thank Thank
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you.